0: So Genesis 29, verses 13 to 35. When Laban heard the news about his sister's son, Jacob, he ran to meet him, hugged him and kissed him. Then he took him to his house and Jacob told him all that had happened. Laban said to him, "'Yes, you are my own flesh and blood.' After Jacob had stayed with him a month, Laban said to him, "'Just because you're my relative, "'should you work for me for nothing?' Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah and the younger was named Rachel. Leah had ordinary eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Jacob loved Rachel, so he answered Laban, I'll work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban replied, Better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my time is completed. I want to sleep with her. So Laban invited all the men of the the place to a feast. That evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and he slept with her. And Laban gave his slave, Zilpah, to his daughter Leah as her slave. When morning came, there was Leah. So he said to Laban, "'What is this you have done to me? "'Wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you? "'Why have you deceived me?' Laban answered, "'It is not the custom in this place "'to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn. "'Complete this week of wedding celebration,' and we will also give you this younger one in return for working yet another seven years for me. And Jacob did just that. He finished the week of celebration and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife and Laban gave his slave Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her slave. Jacob slept with Rachel also and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah and he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was unable to conceive. Leah conceived, gave birth to a son, and named him Reuben. For she said, the Lord has seen my affliction, surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, the Lord has heard that I am unloved and has given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, At last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne three sons for him. Therefore he was named Levi. And she conceived again, gave birth to a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. Then Leah stopped having children.
1: Our next reading is Luke 19, so that's on page 966 in the Bibles. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I've extorted anyone from, anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good evening. It's nice to see you. Please uh, turn back in your Bibles to Genesis 29. Just a heads up, we're going to uh, take a break from Genesis next week. Next week is our Thanksgiving service, so uh, come along with to share next Sunday, I things you're thankful for, and then we'll get back to Genesis for the Joseph story the week after. I want to begin tonight uh, with a, a confession, a confession of an addiction that I have conquered uh, I used to be addicted to uh, love song dedications on Mix 106.5. Perfect nighttime driving, driving back from dating Rachel Parramatta, the love god Richard Mercer as he drives you home. Uh, those classic love songs, you know, love, love changes everything, all you need is love when a man loves a woman, crazy for love. You know the really sad thing about Richard Mercer? It's actually the the love stories that go with the love songs, isn't it? If you listen to it long enough, it's really a a tragic, tragic program. It's the story of all these uh, tragic love stories, all these messed up people with messed up love lives. And as you listen to it, you're thinking, why on earth are you sharing your dirty laundry on national radio? (laughs) But then again... As a human being, you can kind of identify with it, can't you? Because as human beings, we are made in the image of God, and our God is a relational God. Our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as a human being, we were created to, to love and to be loved. Uh, part of what it means to be human is to love people. We we long for the love of a parent, we long to be loved by a sibling, we long to be loved by friends, and we long to be loved by a lover. And so when you don't feel that love, when that love is lacking, there is this emptiness. That's what it means to be human. What did the Lord Jesus say? He said the the greatest commandment is to, to love God. And to love other people. Uh, Jesus is not talking about the uh, Richard Mercer kind of romantic love, is he? And he's not talking about the emotional love, the gushy feelings that come and go. He's talking about agape love. He's talking about selfless love, the sacrificial love, the acts of service kind of love. And I hope you've experienced that. You know, when when a friend is there alongside you in the deepest, darkest moments of life, you experience real love, don't you? Uh, When a parent is there and is gracious to you when you have caused them real hurt, that is agape love. Uh, When a lover forgives you, that is agape love. So we were born to love and to be loved. And when that's missing, we are impacted by it and we feel it. And with that in mind, hear these words from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8. Deuteronomy 7, verse 8 just says four words. It says, the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. Max Lucado says, God loves you simply because he has chosen to love you. God loves you when you don't feel lovely. God loves you when no one else loves you, and others may abandon you, divorce you, and ignore you, but God will love you always, no matter what. But that's a sentiment in the whole Bible. Romans chapter 9, verse 25, God says, I will call the nobodies and make them somebodies. I will call the unloved and make them my beloved. God's promise in Jeremiah 31, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his love for us in this. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John chapter 3 verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, this is love. Not that we love God, but God loved us. God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As you look at the cross, you're supposed to say, this is how much God loves me. He loves me to death. Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friend. And I have one aim tonight. I want you to realize how much God loves you. I want you to leave tonight confident that God really does love you. Because that's the Leah and Rachel story. Turn back to Genesis 29. It's a story of Messed up love. It's like a Hollywood love story with unrequited love and manipulative love and menage a love. It's more of a tragedy really. It's a Shakespearean love story. I'm going to retell the story tonight in four scenes and then we'll think about what it means. But just to give you the context, uh, Jacob is this manipulative, calculating, cold, self-serving, self-seeking, heartless, horrible that bag, who is loved by a very gracious God. And Jacob has fled his brother Esau. His brother Esau is trying to murder him. He's just had the vision of the stairway to heaven because God has said, I'm with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. Let's pick up the scene in 29 verse 1. I've called this love at first sight. Uh, Jacob resumed his journey and went to the eastern country. He looked up and saw a well in a field. Let's just stop there. In the Bible, whenever you see the word well, you're supposed to say that's a place of God's blessing, and that's a great place to meet a wife. So Jacob would have heard his mum and dad's uh, love story time and time again. Growing up, time and again, Isaac would have told his sons about how he met Rebecca, his beautiful wife, when she was carrying that water jug and she offered to feed those wretched camels. I said, so Jacob sees the well and he thinks, this could be the place I find my wife. Uh, he meets some shepherds and it's kind of a, a monosyllabic blokey conversation. Uh, where are you from? Haran. Do you know a called Laban? Yep. Is he well? Yes. And here's his daughter Leah, verse 6 coming with his sheep. And you're supposed to read verses 1 to 12 and get the kind of swagger in Jacob. He's an arrogant, pushy, know-it-all kind of guy. And then he meets Rachel. Verse verse 9. While he was still speaking with him, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Her name means little lamb. Uh, As soon as Jacob saw his uncle Laban's daughter, Rachel, with his sheep, he went up and rolled the stone from the opening and watered his uncle Laban's sheep. You're supposed to think there, this stone over the well, it would normally take two or three blokes to roll it away. He's kind of a macho Jacob proving he's a somebody. And then verse 11, he, he kissed Rachel. He's attracted to her. It's love at first sight. Scene number two, I've called seven years to the wedding night. So it's deja vu for Laban. Last time there's a random meeting at a well. His sister Rebecca ended up marrying Isaac. Uh, verse 13, Laban heard the news about his sister's son Jacob. He ran to meet him, hugged him and kissed him. He took him to his house and, and Jacob told him all that had happened. I wonder what Jacob told him. Laban says, how's your mum and dad? Oh yeah, they're well. Why are you here? Uh, I'm on the run. Why are you running? Uh, my brother and I had a bit of a falling out. What happened? Uh, nothing really. Uh, I stole his birthright, I stole his blessing, and he wants to kill me. Not a problem really. Oh, and by the way, I'm here to find a wife. And then Laban, we know, Laban loves money. We saw that back in chapter 25. He loves money. And so he's thinking bridal price for his daughter Leah or his daughter Rachel. But let's think about it. What has Jacob got to offer? What's Jacob come with? There's no gold. There's no silver. There's no camels. There's not even a donkey. No designer clothes. No earthly possessions. He's got nothing to his name. And that is why he offers to work for seven years. To pay the the bridal price. Uh, uh, Laban has two daughters. Verse 16. The older was named Leah. Leah. The younger was named Rachel, and you're supposed to get the deja vu moment. Two sisters, an older and a younger. Uh, The name Leah means wild cow. The name Rachel means little lamb. And verse 17, Leah has ordinary eyes. It just means that she's plain. No fire, no sparkle. But Rachel, verse 17, is shapely and beautiful. And Jacob falls in love with Rachel. No surprise there, is there? the Bible tells us that we should be more concerned about character than looks. But Jacob is this worldly bloke who's just attracted to the shapely and the beautiful. It's wrong. I reckon verse 20 is your love song dedication verse, isn't it? Uh, Jacob worked seven years for Rachel and this seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her you imagine Jacob and Richard Mercer and saying uh, I want to, everything I do I do it for you I'm hopelessly devoted to you crazy in love I just I'll do anything for you Rachel I love you So scene 2 7 years to the wedding night scene 3 shock at first light So so Jacob is counting down the the, the years 7 years 6 years 5 years 4 years 3 years 2 years 1 year 3 days 2 days One day, it's over. I've got my wife. He's pretty blunt, isn't he, in verse 21? Give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to sleep with her. I've waited seven years. And so Laban plans this great wedding in verse 22, and all the men are invited to the feast. And you've got to understand weddings in those days. All all the relatives came, and the bride would be veiled from head to foot. And the only people who spoke at the ceremonies were the bridegroom and the bride's father. And I reckon Laban gets Jacob tanked up. It's the only explanation. Laban is plotting that evening he took his daughter Leah, verse 23. He swapped Rachel for Leah. And he gives Leah to Jacob and Jacob slept with her. There's so many questions, aren't there? What did he do with Rachel? Do you reckon Rachel's locked away in a room somewhere? Is Rachel in on it? Why did Leah consent to this? Was Leah in love with Jacob? Or maybe Leah just wanted to get her own back on her beautiful sister Rachel. But verse 25, the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. And Jacob's about to start this new life of wedded bliss with his beloved Rachel and he's smiling to himself. He rolls over in a marital bed and there was Leah. What do you reckon he said? Do you reckon he screamed, No! We know what he said to Laban. What has you done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel I worked for you? Why have you... Deceive me, deceive me, deceive me, deceive me. I wonder whether there's words written in his head. Poetic justice: the deceiver has been deceived. And Labour's response is functional. It's not younger to get married first. Remember the order, Jacob is older, younger. But he does a deal in verse twenty-seven: take Leah as your wife for just one week, sleep with her for one week, and then I'll give you the younger one as well. But you must work another seven years. But those second seven years didn't just seem like a, a few days, did they? And maybe you read that story and you think, oh, what a, what a lucky man Jacob is. Two wives, two concubines, and they all live happily ever after. Is that, is that the story? Uh, verse 30. Uh, Jacob slept with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. It's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Two wives, two warring sisters, one is loved, the other is unloved, and four women competing for this man's babies. It's not a happy home. I've called the final scene the feuding wives' fertility fight. Read verse 31. The Lord saw that Leah was unloved. He opened her womb. But Rachel was unable to conceive. This is a a desperately sad story. It's a story of two desperate women. Leah is desperate to be loved by her husband. And Rachel is desperate to have kids. Let me say at this point, I'm very aware that the issues raised in these chapters could cut very deeply with people here at 5 o'clock tonight. Some of us here are are longing to be loved by a husband or a wife. And some of us are longing to have children. And I'm going to work really hard to be very sensitive in my language tonight. But this is the story. Uh, Leah is remarkably fertile. Four sons come very easily, but every time she gives birth, you get a picture of how desperate she is. Verse 32, Leah conceived, gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. It means the Lord has seen my afflictions. But look at the next bit. Surely my husband will love me now. Perhaps I can buy his love through giving him a boy, a son. But that doesn't work. So verse 33, she has another son, and she calls him Simeon, which means the Lord hears. The Lord heard that I am unloved. So give me this son also. But that doesn't work in Has another son called Levi, which means attached. At last, my husband will become attached to me. I've given him three sons. But that doesn't work. She's still unloved. She has a fourth son. She calls him Judah, which means praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. Desperate, desperate to be loved. Leah's a, a wonderful character in the Bible. You know, it's through the line of Leah. That God in his providence, God in his mercy, brings his priestly line, the Levites, and his kingly line through Judah and then through King David and then the Messiah. She's loved by God, even though unloved by her husband. And then enter Rachel, chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she envied her sister. You kind of get that, don't you? She's so desperate. She's emotionally attached. She wants kids. She feels her pain. And she turns to her husband and says, Give me sons or I will die. Uh, she knows that kids are a gift of God, but when you're hurting that much, you kind of understand why she laughs. Uh, she takes that into her own hands. She says in verse 3 Jacob, here's my slave Bilhah. Go sleep with her. She can bear kids for me. It's desperate measures, isn't it? And so Jacob's with Bilhah. They have a son called Dan, which means God vindicates. That's how she feels. She's vindicating her actions. They have another son, verse 7, called Naphtali, which means wrestling, because she's kind of fighting with her sister. It's like Leah was winning four sons to nil. Now she's got two, so it's 4-2. Rachel is closing the gap. But anything that Rachel can do, Leah can do better. Verse 9. When Leah saw she stopped having kids, she took her slave, Zilpah, and she gave her to Jacob. And he slept with her. And had another son called Gad, which means good luck or good fortune. And another son called Asher, which means happy. I actually feel that Leah's a bit vindictive, a bit of a nasty woman. She, She names her kids. Uh, happy, Uh, good luck. Uh, The Lord has seen my afflictions. The Lord has heard. Praise the Lord. Can you imagine being Rachel growing up in a house with six sons? The Lord has heard. The Lord has vindicated. Happy, Uh, fortunate woman. She's kind of rubbing her nose in it. She's kind of saying to Rachel, look, I've got six sons. How many have you got? And at this point, you're kind of asking, could things get any more dysfunctional? And the answer is yes. Because now Leah's sons get in on the action. Verse 14, Reuben went out during the wheat harvest and found some mandrakes. Mandrakes are are fertility drugs. They are love apples, like an aphrodisiac. And when he brought them to his mother Leah, what, what does she want with it? She's got four sons already. Rachel asks, please give me some of your son mandrakes. Please help me to conceive kids. And she says, isn't it enough that you've taken my husband? Now you also want my son's mandrakes. And do you see how desperate Rachel is in verse 15? You can sleep with him tonight in exchange for just one mandrake. She's desperate, isn't she? Jacob comes in and Leah basically said, I I paid for sex with you, sleep with me. And she has another son called Issachar, God has rewarded me. Another son, verse 19, this one is called Zebulun, gift, good gift. So Leah bears six sons and a daughter called Dinah. Let let me ask you, who do you feel most sorry for? Leah or Rachel? Rachel? The answer is both, isn't it? One is longing to be loved by her husband and one is longing to have kids. You feel for both of them. And that's why verse 22 is such an important verse. Then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to Rachel. And God opened her womb. Please hear me very carefully here. I'm not saying that if we pray, God will give you your deepest longings. And I'm not saying that if you haven't got your deepest longings, you haven't prayed hard enough. That's a wrong, damaging, horrendous application. But God does open Rachel's womb. Why did he do that? Uh, Primarily to, to fulfill his promises. The 12 tribes of Israel come. But it's also showing Rachel that he loves her as well. This is a a messed up story of messed up people. Laban's a money-grabbing Scrooge. Jacob is an immoral man. Leah is a nasty woman. But she's desperate. And Rachel is pretty but feeling desperately unhappy. It's a story of messed up people fighting but fragile, fragile people. Horrible, hurting people. And we're supposed to say, that is me, and that's you. Because some of us here tonight will feel very unloved, and you're just longing for the love of another human being. And some of us here tonight will feel desperate for something in life, just something that you, you really want to be satisfied with in life. And some of us here will be like a Jacob who are, are proud and arrogant and need humbling. I want to say to you tonight, if you're feeling unloved, God loves you. Because God loves the unloved. That's Leah's story. 29 verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. 29 verse 32, surely my husband will love me now. 29 verse 33, the Lord has heard that I am unloved. 29 verse 34, at last my husband will become attached to me. Perhaps he'll love me. See what her song is? Her love song dedication. I want to know what love is. I just want to be loved by my husband. She feels plain, she feels ugly, she feels alone, she feels unloved she spent her whole life watching her beautiful sister getting all the attention I found this quote this week, I love this quote it says this people are meant to be loved and things are meant to be used please don't get that the wrong way around please don't use people and love things And in a way, Leah was used. Used by her father and used by her husband for the occasional sex, seductive womb. She's meant to be loved. That's what it means to be human. And maybe that is you tonight. Feel unloved and feel unlovable. Look at verse 31. The Lord Lord saw that Leah was unloved, He sees it all. Uh, that word see, it's not just looking on from a distance. It's like he sees and he acts. He's alongside her. He's in her pain. He does something. Again, God loves you because he's chosen to love you. He loves you when you don't feel lovely. He loves you when no one else loves you. Others may abandon you, divorce you, ignore you, but God will love you always. How do you know that God loves you? How do you really know that God loves you? I think there's two ways. Firstly, look back to Calvary. Look at an old, old wooden cross. This is love. Not that we love God, but God loved us and sent his Son to sacrifice for our sins. The cross of Christ is a demonstration of how much God loves you. He loves you to death. But, but more than that, Look inside. If you're a Christian here tonight, what has God given you? Who has God given you to constantly remind you how much he loves you? His spirit, the comforter, the Strengthener, the one who provides you with his extraordinary peace that passes all understanding. That's how much God loves you. Again, let me ask you, who, who did Jesus love? Who did Jesus hang out with? The lovely people? The nice people? The successful people? The pretty people? No. People like Zacchaeus. This is how the the kids Bible puts this story. Jesus loved Zacchaeus when nobody else did. Jesus was Zacchaeus' friend even when nobody else was. Because Jesus was showing people what God's love is really like. His wonderful Never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always, forever love. Jesus loves you, even when you feel unloved. And Jesus loves you when you feel desperate. That is Rachel's story. She was loved by a human being. She was loved by her husband. But life had not turned out how she'd expected. I reckon Rachel had dreamed of a monogamous marriage to the man that she loved, and now she's sharing him with four women. I reckon she longed for kids. She's desperate. She's in pain. And she's such a contemporary figure, Rachel, because externally she's very beautiful. And from the, from the exterior, she's got the loving husband who loves her, but inside she's feeling pain, hurt, emptiness, and sadness. Uh, the, the actress Raquel Welsh says this. She says, I've got everything I ever dreamed of. A loving husband, beautiful kids, a beautiful home, and a job that I love, but inside I am empty. Why does she feel that? Because until you know the love of God, until you've accepted how much God loves you, until you've welcomed God into your heart, you're always going to feel empty. And I love Rachel, the verse 22, God remembered Rachel. He hadn't forgotten her. It's not as so if God woke up one day and said, oh yes, I've forgotten about Rachel. He was there in her pain. He was there in her emptiness. That's our God, isn't it? I don't know what burdens you're carrying. I don't know what pains you bear. But God is with you in it. He loves you in it. God loves you unloved. God God loves the desperate, and God loves us, wayward men and women. People like Jacob trying to run away and run life by ourselves and being selfish and proud and arrogant. That's Jacob in the story. He needed humbling by God. Jacob needs to learn the consequence of his sin. Let's think about it. If if Jacob hadn't stolen the blessings... He'd still be living at home with his mum and dad and he'd have money for the bridal price. Living in the promised land. But he ran away. He ran away from God and now he needs to be brought back to God. And maybe that's you tonight. God is saying, I do love you. Stop running from me. I wonder how Jacob would introduce his kids if he was here tonight. Here's my family, he'd say. He said, "Um, uh, these... (coughs) These uh, six are from my wife, Leah, and these two are from the maid servant Bilhar, and these two are from Zilpah, and these two are from Rachel, who I loved. And he's sitting down and going, oh, I'm, I've lived a totally messed up life, haven't I? I'm a totally immoral man. But God loves me. And God has forgiven me. And you know, that, that's a church, isn't it? Please don't pretend to be somebody. You're just a messed up person who's loved by a very gracious God. You know, when we describe church, often, especially here in Alone or Shaw, often we just talk about all the amazing positives, you know. Oh, come to our church. It's full of really successful business people. As if that matters to God. Oh, come to our church. It's full of uh, lots of trendy 30 olds as, as if that matters to God. Our pastors are really well educated. As if that matters to God. Do you think God really cares whether you're successful in your business life or whether you're beautiful or trendy or you've got a piece? Do you think God cares about that? What does God care about? That you know that you're loved by him. That you've acknowledged that you're just a messed up person who's in need of a very gracious, loving, heavenly father. That's what matters to God. I don't know how you came tonight, feeling unloved, feeling desperate, proud or arrogant. However you came, I pray that you will leave different, knowing that you're loved by an incredibly gracious God. How wide, how deep, how high, how long is the love of God in Christ Jesus? You cannot fathom how much he loves you. Please don't turn that love away. He loves you. Let me pray. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Father God, wherever people are at tonight, I pray that you would impress on them just how much you love them. Father, for those of us who are feeling lonely, remind us that you're there with us. For those of you who have been abandoned, remind us that you're with us. For those of us who are feeling unloved, Lord, you love us. For those who are feeling desperate, Lord, you love us. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the love of Christ. Thank you that you are a God who is willing to die for us. Thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. You are with us. You watch over us and you will carry us home. What amazing love that is.